This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome to the show, everyone, and thanks for listening. Food banks at their birth were designed to have two primary purposes. Ensure the food that was available and being distributed to the community was safe and to prevent food from going to waste and ending up in the landfill. You've heard us say on the show before, waste not, want not. And that is an idiom we can all support. Food banks all have programs to address food waste and rescue food from retailers on a regular basis. Yet it is estimated that in America we waste in excess of 133 billion pounds of food with a retail value of over $161 billion. Man, oh man, that is a lot of food. And did you know that over 40% of all food waste comes out of our own refrigerators and the other 60% gets lost between the field and our plates? While this is a bit shameful for sure, and we are working to create a positive solution, it is becoming more and more critical because while there is both a food waste and a food loss problem, the ironic problem for food banks is that because of the food hierarchy, food that just as a few short years ago was being donated to help feed those in our community who found themselves food insecure is now being used for other purposes rather than feeding the hungry. Food banks are now spending more money on purchasing food to distribute than ever before in their history. And here to help us understand this food hierarchy, the difference between food waste and food loss, and why it matters to you, to us, and to our hungry neighbors, is Dr. Lisa K. Johnson, our friend and previous guest, who is a professor and researcher at North Carolina State University. She joins Jerry Brisson and me here on this edition of Food First. Welcome back, everyone, and as promised, Jerry Prasan in the studio with me, and on the phone, Dr. Lisa Johnson, who has been our guest before. Uh, Lisa is from North Carolina State University, and Lisa, you are here in Michigan studying uh, food food uh, loss from the field, and I guess we should get a quick update on that project, and then tell us what you've been up to. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for having me back on the show. It's been about a year and a half, I guess. Um, And I've been seriously busy since that time. I was in Michigan on uh, working on food loss in the field, which is typically what I work on. That particular project was a collaboration with World Wildlife Fund. And so what we found is that... um, which is typical of what we find is that losses in processing crops um, are generally speaking lower than losses in hand harvested vegetables. Um, The equipment used in mechanical harvest is really well targeted to the architecture of the plant and really collecting the entirety of the crop in the field. 
I did work on blueberries a little bit in Michigan as well, but not to the degree that there's, there was so much data to say anything really strongly uh, about that. One thing we found that people were doing really well in Michigan was um, sort of collaboratively marketing the blueberries, so working under a co-op um, and allowing that co-op to market every uh, blueberry within every within the whole range of quality that they had. So that was pretty great. And those results came out in a paper by World Wildlife Fund uh, called No Food Left Behind, mm-hmm. Volume 2. They have been working on food loss for a while, and so this is the second report in their series. So that's um, pretty easy to find online. Uh, no Food Left Behind, Volume 2. You know, it's so interesting the different ways you can slice this pie, if you will. And with blueberries, I think pie is an absolutely appropriate way to talk about it. Um, yeah. And it, because, I mean, as somebody who has had a garden for a long time, and I and I, I grew up in the UP, and, and, you know, we had a huge garden, and my mom canned stuff and all that, um, you don't go about growing food thinking about what you're not going to eat. Right, you you grow right. food thinking about what you are going to eat. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, sure, sure. even looking looking at it this way, talking about growing food, thinking about what you're not going to eat, is such a different way of imagining what goes through somebody's brain when they start to plan what are they going to do. Mm-hmm. So I think for the average person, understanding farming as a business with inputs and outputs and costs and budgets and structures, is it's just not the way we think about farmers. Right. I mean, for example, like you mentioned, I have a garden here at home. None of the people in my family eat lots and lots of cucumbers, so we don't plant them even though they're fun to grow and they're easy, you know, to grow. Uh, when you have a farm, though, it is a business, and it's a completely different mindset. Growers are always, always working to minimize losses um, in everything that they do, from choosing the cultivars they choose to investing in a serious irrigation system to consulting experts to develop a pest management strategy. They're doing it all just to avoid losses. They want to maximize the product that they can sell and minimize the product that they can't sell. So they're always thinking about this. It's not always top of mind for the regular consumer. So when we look at food loss and food food waste, through a typical consumer lens, we think, oh, you know, how terrible, how could anyone waste food? In reality, with growers, they're constantly looking to avoid wasting food, um, but it's inevitable with all the factors that go into um, how their product gets out into the world. So there's a lot of things they're not in control of, like the market or the weather, uh, which play into what they can ultimately offer. Yeah, and when we think about um, walking with growers, 
on our journey, right, to provide food security for our entire state. Um, We keep learning more and more from their perspective about what it is they really need in in order for us to, to work best with them. Now, some are just have a lot of donative intent and they just, you know, we have some farmers that say, you know what, we're going to grow a certain amount of food just for the food bank every year. We're going to invest the dollars. We're going to combine it with our other activities to get the cost as low as possible. But we've got a huge donative intent and we're going to exercise that by growing food specifically for you. We have others that say, hey, you know what, when it's possible, I'm going to do it. If it's not possible, then I can't. You know what I mean? And then we have others that don't think about donating, either because it's too hard or maybe they're worried about things that, that um, you know, they, they don't know that they're indemnified from a food safety standpoint or whatever. And so they they have barriers that we need to address just from communication. So it's just such a fascinating topic. It's a really important one. There's so much food out there. And learning about this is really important to our work. Well, what I want us to do is pick up this topic and also um, the, the the most recent paper that I'm aware of, Lisa, um, um, about the food hierarchy and some of the things that you guys talk about in there we think is very interesting and, 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 and to be candid, impactful on our work here about trying to create food security for our entire state. So well, I want us to come back and talk with that, uh, talk about those things. And, uh, and folks, we, uh, we're very excited to have Dr. Lisa K. Johnson back with us. She is a professor of food and agricultural at North Carolina State University, and she is also a consultant. And you can find her at lisakjohnson.com. Lisa, Jerry, we'll be back in just a minute. You all come back and be with us, too. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Lisa K. Johnson is with us here on Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Lisa, could you um, explain briefly, at least put the cookies on the right shelf so I can understand it, what's the difference between food loss and food waste? Well, that's a great question. Um, in fact, there's no real agreed-upon definition. For example, uh, similar to the definition of local food, you know, there's no defined um, answer to that, and people have different answers for that. Um, for example, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations uh, includes food waste as food loss. So the food waste is sort of under an umbrella as mm-hmm. food loss. Uh, the USDA um, doesn't really define any border between the two. The way that I think of it is um, as kind of a solid line between food production and mm-hmm. maybe even distribution, and then a line between that and food uh, retail, restaurant, food service, and consumption. Mm-hmm. So if you think about those downstream portions of the food supply chain, when food is wasted, um, there was a behavior or a decision that led to that happening, typically. So I think of that as food waste. When you look upstream in production or sometimes distribution, food is lost due to more outside forces. 
Mm-hmm. So that's how I think of it. Um, people have disagreed with me in the past, so you know, y'all feel free to disagree. But uh, well, I'm I'm going to go the like opposite direction of that. And you said that there's not a lot of consensus on the definition, and so Jerry, I think we should just vote right now and see if we agree <laughs> and accept Lisa's definitions. Because I'm in favor. I'm in favor. All there right, we go. So we na- have it. It's now, done. Now it's consensus right here on Food First <laughs> yeah. Michigan. We've established that. Feel free to publish that anywhere you need to, Dr. Johnson. Um, sure. Yeah. And um, so thank you. I, I, I think that helps me, Jerry. Um, well, I think the sometimes having a more refined definition makes it easier to communicate what the heck you're talking about, right? So I think drawing a line between food production and distribution and then retail restaurants, uh, food service and consumption, yeah. it, it really does help to say, okay, which piece of this are we trying to address so when we i mean in fact i know we're going to talk about your latest published report which which i think sheds some light on this because when when you talk with growers about the kind of solutions they want and one of those is better markets and higher prices you are going to talk about both sides of food loss and food waste but certainly if they want more consumers eating fresh produce as a strategy then you're going to have to deal with food waste because they're not going to buy a bunch more stuff that they're throwing away. Right. By right, having the definition split that way, you can when you talk about the strategies to fix the problems, you have a way to say this is what I mean and I like that. And and one of the strategies you talked about um you know, we we say on the show oftentimes uh Dr. Johnson that that the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. And your target measured action really defines reality about loss in the field as well as loss, you know, post-production. So I think that's a great way to look. Could you, could you unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. I certainly haven't come up with this awesome strategy. I don't know if it was the World Resources Institute or somebody um, back before then, but what uh, what I was mentioning is that one of the mantras we use in studying food waste and food loss in general is target, measure, act. So if there's an area that you want to improve on, um, you can target that. And then unfortunately, you have to do some work to measure that. Um, so there are lots of ways to measure food waste, for example, in food service, and people are really keen to do that now. You can measure food waste in a school or an institution or in homes, and people are working on those issues right now. Once you have defined what that problem is, then you can come up with solutions that are going to work at the scale you need them to work at. Um, Unfortunately, agriculture has remained the most mysterious sector of our food supply when it comes to food loss and food waste. We really haven't had solid information for decades on what we're leaving in the field. And so what I did was simply apply this target measure act um, approach to agriculture. It works exactly the same way as it would in a household or in a restaurant. You measure the food that you're not using and then you can tackle that with a solution once you know how big the problem is and 
where the problem is occurring. <laughs> yeah, I um, want to give just a real quick on the consumption side example because I, I think it, it just makes it so clear. So we work with a lot of schools. And one thing that we're trying to do is make sure that, that kids in school are food secure. We say the two words that should <coughs> never go together are hungry and child, right? And so, right. so we looked at lunch, And we looked at plate waste, and we actually measured plate waste at lunch. What kids were picking up in the line in the cafeteria and then throwing out, right? And we actually measured it. Then we switched lunch from before recess to after, and plate waste dropped almost immediately by half. Hmm. Because kids weren't distracted by, I'm getting ready to go outside and I just want to wolf down whatever I can and throw the rest away. They knew they were done being outside and so they actually ate their lunch. So by, by targeting the issue, lunch, right, measuring the plate waste before and after the solution, it helped us understand that the solution, which costs zero dollars, actually yeah. significantly reduced the waste. Wow. Exactly. That's awesome. I love it. But it just, I mean, that's I what we, that's what we're, yeah, I think your methodology put into practice works exceptionally well, and it helps us really understand better all of our value proposition. Does everything we do have a return on investment? Without measuring, you have no clue. Yeah, and we have been trying to make the business case um, in agriculture for sort of reclaiming whatever the opportunity might be that you have. Uh, on the product that is being left in the field. And it's a little murkier than the return on investment in recapturing, for example, what you're losing in food service. Um, And it's less obvious what the financial benefit is, which makes it very clear why growers might walk away from a portion of their crop, because the financial benefit is unclear or missing (laughs) for them. Right. Well, I think that leads us to, um, I'd like to just jump kind of into the most recent uh, publication that you that you have, and it's generally about the food recovery hierarchy. And um, maybe you could give us a little intro to that, uh, Dr. Johnson, and then we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Sure. The, uh, the EPA in 2015 put out a food recovery hierarchy that suggests to businesses what the preferred method for recovering food should be um, according to the benefits on the environment. So they suggest that the most preferred method to reduce food loss would be reducing it at the source, producing less than you produce initially, then to feed hungry people through donation, then feed animals. Um, And among some of the least preferred options would be putting food into the landfill or, you know, slightly better would be composting or industrial uses. So in this paper, I took that framework and applied it to growers, suggesting what growers feel would be the best and worst uses for their products. Okay. Well, that, I think that's a great segue into the next segment with our guest, Dr. Lisa K. Johnson. And she's going to be back with Jerry and I in just a moment. You come back and be with us, too. First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Dr. Lisa K. Johnson from North Carolina State, who has visited us and worked with us here in uh, Michigan, is our guest today, and we're talking about uh, essentially the, the food hierarchy, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, so I have to say, one of my initial impressions of reading the this latest report is that it was the EPA that came out with the recommendations. And I thought, I never would have expected that anything having to do with food in the field would be primarily the responsibility of the EPA. Now, again, I understand why, but I, I just want to say my first reaction was a little bit of shock. Like, oh, so they're thinking about this as a environmental problem, not as a nutrition issue, right? So, so anyway, just to start with that. The second thing, my second immediate impression in reading the article was... Oh, so you're going to actually ask the growers what they think. That seems like a pretty good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, Lisa, tell us a little bit about how this, this, uh, this published, you, you published a lot, and we want to ask you about some of those as well. But this one really caught our eye. I saw it on LinkedIn and, uh, <clears throat> and got Katie to reach out to you so that we could have you on the show. Because, you know, I mean, in our world of, of trying to create food security and and help people who are struggling against the daily, um, you know, uh, trying to feed themselves and their families, this hierarchy of food really impacts our work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So for this study, I talked with growers, as you mentioned, which seems like a radical approach. (laughs) But in in order to try and understand why our crops left in the field, I really needed to get their perspective on that. And so um, for this particular study, I worked with growers in North Carolina, and the study here describes their responses. Um, It was fascinating. I did ask them all about donation and gleaning, and there's a section about that in the article. Um, Basically, as you suggested, many growers already donate some donate when they can, and others just don't aren't able to do it, right? So I would suggest um, that based on my impressions from these growers, if donation were made easy and incentivized, they might all do it. Um, so, you know, in different states, there's varying levels of the ability to incentivize growers to donate. I think in Michigan, you all have some strong programs, um, but, you know, not every state is, is as fortunate. Definitely growers did say if they were incentivized, they would do more of it. Hmm. Um, and so we know what that means, right? Right. Uh, but when what I found out from them is when I asked them, what would make it possible for you to get everything out of the field every time? The hierarchy that you asked about is the answers that they gave me. So the most preferable option they suggested were to facilitate market consistency and high prices. So what they encounter is buyers that just stop calling when they can get product closer to them for a lower transportation cost. So they have no idea when this is going to happen. Um, so the, it's as if the phone just stops ringing one day. <laughs> for yeah. Them. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of input costs over time have risen for growers like fuel and fertilizer and labor um, and food safety costs, right? But if you take a look at produce prices over time, they have largely stayed very flat. And so one of the conclusions that I came to in doing this work is that 
um, you know, growers need higher prices. Consumers need lower prices in order to both get the nutrition they need and uh, create higher demand, which growers also want. So it's kind of a, a conflicting issue there. You know, growers need to be compensated for what they do, yet people want to see lower prices. So it's it's a it's a big. Um, it's a wicked problem, so to speak. It's well, hard to get anybody's mind around it. It is, and yet I think, so you list in your report, there's seven things that growers suggest for food loss reduction strategies. There's seven things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, again, food banks and the Food Bank Network nationally are working on six of those seven. And that yeah. is what's different today than how things used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's here it is. So when you talk about facilitating market consistency and high prices, one of the things that food banks are doing is getting together what is our demand going to be for the next year? And how do we go out to growers and say, we know what our demand is going to be. Here's what it is. So what could what could we do to make it easier for you to meet this demand? So that you're not going in with a what can you donate today kind of message, but you're really going in there with a much more planned approach that can say, where can we find common ground so that we can capture as much of what you have available as possible based on what we know the people in our communities want and need. It's far more complicated to do it that way. But it's so much more effective when you look at everyone has to win in the right ways in order to maximize getting as much out of the field as possible. And for us, that means for people who don't have enough money, period. So you want to talk about low price? The people that we help, I mean, sometimes it's no price. They can't right. afford it, period, right? So right. so therein, the, the, when you talk about facilitating market consistency, our policy work is going to be an important part of that. But when we think about the impact, we say, if we do our part well and the policies we have in the state help us do what we do well, that is going to provide price relief to growers who can then supply the rest of the market better. So we become not only part of the solution for food security, but we also become part of the solution for what growers need to have a more consistent market. Everybody wins, and that kind of thinking we think is going to build our future. It's imperative to include the grower in this winning scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he, the growers need to also be benefiting. They are responsible for providing our food. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't, in all cases, just give it away. And so, you know, they, when they benefit in some way, they're happy to participate. I mean, in general. Yeah, I think you're right. And I was I was uh, excited to read that, you know, there's probably out of the seven things that you guys suggest uh, that our network's involved in at least five of them, if not six. And so I think that shows the evolution of food banking, that it's no longer um, here's your box. Hope you like it. Tough if you don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. Right. You know that right. we have really evolved in every area of this work from from how are we going to distribute the food that people need with dignity and how are we going to, uh, you know, impact the economy and the growers and all the way through the chain and uh, how we how we develop those partnerships. So 
She's Dr. Lisa K. Johnson. Lisa, tell us a little bit about some of your other publications. I want to make sure people know how to find you. Sure. Well, I just want to mention briefly a couple of books that I've been a part of. Uh, One that is coming out at the end of the month is called Produce Loss and Waste in Agricultural Production. Oh, that's the name of the chapter. It's in the Rutledge Handbook of Food Waste. And the other book has already come out. It's called The Economics of Food Loss in Produce. So if you're interested in finances, that's a good one. Um, Also, a co-author of mine at NC State, Rebecca Dunning, and I have written an article in Vegetable and Specialty Crop News called Turn Field Losses into Profits. And one was the cover story in American Vegetable Grower called Are You Leaving Money in the Field? Hmm. So that's that's a couple of the articles that I've written. There was another one that I wrote with several authors at NC State called Putting Dollars to Waste, Estimating the Value of On-Farm Food Loss. So we have started to dig into the business case quite a bit. Absolutely. definitely check out those books if you're interested in in more information on this topic. And I think everybody can find you at lisakjohnson.com, correct? Yes, that's right. All right. So not only is she a food and agriculture professor at North Carolina State University, Lisa, you are also a consultant, and you can find her at lisakjohnson.com. Lisa, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us and educating Jerry and I and helping us understand the impact of your work on our work. Thank you so much for having me. Jerry and I will be back in just a moment. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and that was Lisa K. Johnson, uh, agricultural professor, and uh, I helped me understand the difference between food loss and food waste and why it matters to us and our work. How about well, you? Oh, man, so many things to say about it. And also, just the report. Uh, we should probably put a link to the report when we, when we put this podcast up because the report is fascinating. I mean, it's yeah. detailed. But it's the kind of details that make you go, okay, I I can see this now in a different way and in an important way. Uh, But I think the thing that got my, you know, energy up was seeing how much of what her her research is showing that supports what we're actually doing. And it doesn't always work out that way, right? Right. (laughs) Sometimes the research shows that what you're doing isn't actually working. Right. But in this case, um, you know, we have started at the Food Bank Council in Michigan a process for talking to growers Mm -hmm. and, and really understanding from their perspective how can we make our work and their work more uh, amenable to each other, right? Yeah. And and again, we have said this so many times, and we certainly didn't coin the phrase, but it's got to be a win for everybody. Right. And the only way you can get wins for everybody is to understand better, right? right. You got to go into the detail. You got to understand better and see what can we leverage to keep the prices down, but high enough so that it's worthwhile. And sometimes that means giving a bigger tax deduction if there's food left over and letting the farmers take that tax deduction. It's it's less expensive than pricing, but it requires willpower. It requires an effort. It requires making sure that people know that that's a worthwhile tax deduction and convincing uh, the state sometimes that this is a better way to accomplish 
greater good than something else, right? Right. So, so it, it, this issue intersects with so much of the work we do. And, and when we talk about the work of the Food Bank Council in Michigan, I think one of the most important things for us to do is make sure our community understands this is what we do. This is why we're here. We stand in the gap for people that need these resources and really don't have the voice to get what they need in the best way um, so, I, I mean, it's very exciting to me to see the research and have it affirm, yep, we're on the right path. So I think two things for me, Jerry, and one is I'll just piggyback one thought you have, and that is who wins when we win. And, you know, we've been talking now for three years on the show about healthcare wins, uh, the community wins, education wins. And at some point, uh, this radical concept of <clears throat> actually talking to the people who supply us our food, the growers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we probably need to put them in that list of who wins when we win and create the kind of scenario and business plan so there is a return on everybody's investment into helping us solve food insecurity. Well, and understanding it fluctuates. I mean, one of the other recommendations was um, to really look at what's an acceptable apple. What's an acceptable potato? Can it be a funny shape? Is that acceptable? Or... Can it have a bruise on it? Is that acceptable? Right. Well, I mean, obviously, if farmers are not harvesting everything they could because they really don't feel like it has the right shape or color, that food is still perfectly good. It's just they don't believe there's a market for it. Right. Well, our mass um, program is one of the things we're doing to capture what we call seconds, right? right. It's that food that the, the grower doesn't believe is marketable because it just looks different, right? right? And we're saying, well, no, people will be happy to have that because it still tastes great. And MASS is, for our listeners, the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System. It's the first program of its type ever in the U.S. and came about in the early 90s. And essentially, the state of Michigan gives us a grant, and we use that grant to go and purchase from Michigan growers, Michigan-grown produce, and we're able to contract with them. And our target, as you said, are these seconds, something that until recently didn't have another market. And I want to segue into this that you're in the food bank world. You guys are actually spending more money on purchasing food than you ever have before. And one of the reasons is because some of these other markets have emerged. Well, that's that's certainly true. I think another reason is because we are, the entire industry is wanting to reduce waste, right? So a lot of food banking was supported by, there's a lot of food waste, and that food waste was being donated at no cost. Well, as manufacturers and retailers and service providers in the food industry, yep, got better at reducing the amount of waste and therefore increasing their profits, which is good, we find that, well, we actually have to do some fundraising around purchasing food at very low cost and not thinking about this as just a donated food issue. And so, you know, that makes us be more careful, too, in making sure that we're spending every dollar where it needs to be spent. So all that to say, there's lots of uh, factors that have resulted in food banks purchasing more food. Probably an equally important part of that equation is listening to the people we serve about what they really want and need. And guess what? Fresh milk and fresh produce are at the very top of the list of what people want more of. Right. So when the, the growers have it and the people want it, and what we have to figure out is what is the right price point to unlock that potential, that's a good project, and that's the kind of work that we do. Exactly. Well, and I think that it, it, it stems from, again, I said in the show, 
the early the early years of food distribution, here's your box, hope you like it, tough if you don't. You know, we've evolved way past that. And all the way to the point that one of the values that you've introduced here on Food First Michigan over the years has been the people that we serve are worthy of our investment. And I think uh, a value that I hold and have tried to introduce is that food is a great avenue to communicate value. That's why we're so picky about where we're going to take our out-of-town guests to eat or what we're going to prepare for them in our home uh, because food communicates value. And if you're just giving people what's left instead of what's best, you're communicating in either one of those. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so we have all gotten better at that balancing act, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's something being thrown away, you want to take a look at it and say, is this something we can repurpose in the right way? And then what what is the value of doing that? What is the cost and value of doing that? On the other hand, getting fresh food that's amazing right off the farm that might cost a little bit more may drive significantly more value for the whole system. So you've got to look at it all. You've got to do the best with all of it. Right. And that's our task. And that's that's our it's our pleasure even. It is. It absolutely is our pleasure. And I think that the price point is important. The return on investment is important for everybody, but none more important than how it makes people feel. No question. No question. Time for a little food for thought. Okay, so we should all do better with food waste. We should do better because of our hungry neighbors, our kids, seniors, and everyone in between. And we should do better for ourselves and the future of our planet. And we should do better simply because it's the right thing to do. Waste not, want not is more than an idiom. It is a call to make a difference. And if you don't have enough food today for you and yours, please check out PantryNet.org to determine where the best and closest pantry is for you to get the food to your table. If you have enough food for you and yours today, count your blessings and determine to help those who don't. Check out our Food First Facebook page where you can find eight easy things to do in order to stop food from going to waste in your home. In the meantime, remember today and every day until hunger is solved. It's Food First, folks. Food First. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.